Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello everyone, Charles Watts here. It is Tuesday, so that can of course only mean one thing. Inside Arsenal Extra Time is back. Myself and James, it is Tuesday. We're getting closer to the Barclays return in this horrible first international break of the season is edging towards a close. James, welcome back, mate. How are you getting on and how are you enjoying or enduring this international break? Yeah, it's been a, a struggle, a slog. Uh, I don't know why this one in particular always feels like the worst. I feel like the internationals don't really have much at stake. Um, I'm expected to have like opinions on England against Ukraine. Um, Yeah, it's been and it's been one of those mornings so far. We're on intro number three. Uh, I've already made myself a coffee without having a mug ready to collect said liquid. So um, I'm really, really concerned about what's going to happen over the next hour. This could go badly wrong for both of us. Things can only get better from here, James. Well, look, I've made my coffee and I managed to actually get it in the cup. So I'm one nil up on you so far this morning. Let's see how this goes. Yeah, it's not been much fun. I hate this international break. It's like that first one, isn't it? You, just, you kind of forget about it each season. And then suddenly, you know, you get to about game three and you're like, oh my God, there's a break coming up. And I think it's almost worse, the fact that this came on the back of that United win and how it was won and the sort of yeah, the atmosphere around the place, it, it kind of felt like liftoff, didn't it, almost for the season? And then bang, it's just like two weeks of basically sitting here with your fingers crossed, hoping no one gets hurt for the next couple of weeks. You don't really pay. I mean, I barely watched England-Ukraine. I have to say, I flicked it on about 10 minutes before Zinchenko scored. Lovely goal, actually, by Zinchenko. So it's good to see him scoring. It was obviously a massive moment for him and Ukraine as well. So that was pretty special, mm. I think. But, you know, other than that, it's just been... You know, almost straight into national international break. We hear that Gabriel's got an injury over in Brazil, and it's like, oh, here we go, here we go. Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, it doesn't 
appear like uh, that's going to be too serious and he could well actually play tonight against Peru, fingers crossed. So he comes through that unscathed. Have you had any sort of great takeaways so far from the from the break? Anything that sort of caught your eye at all? Um, no. I mean, I love what Scotland are doing. Um, and I know that's obviously not got much Arsenal relevance because sadly the, the long li- lineage of great Arsenal Scottish players was, was broken when Kieran Tierney left in the summer. Um I find the England, I'm, sh- I'm sure you're the same, I find the England stuff so draining. These arguments about Gareth Southgate off the back of a sort of Euro qualifier when we know we're all already there. And we also know that sort of like, as much as everyone would like Southgate to pick their favourite players, like he tends to do quite well in tournaments. So um, it just feels like people need things to argue about. Um, and uh, Southgate, it's just, there shouldn't really be anything to argue about. He's fine. He's done a good job for England. <laughs> Yeah, a one-one draw in Ukraine away is nothing to really moan about. I think, but we're in that yeah. age, aren't we, where a draw is a, a disaster, almost or seen as a disaster. So, yeah. Although starting Jordan Henderson, I can't, I can't get my head around starting Jordan Henderson, and Harry Maguire in this in this England team. It's just yeah, I know, and I really like Gareth Southgate. I love what he's done, and I do defend him a lot. But I, just, I don't see how those two players can be starting for England at the moment. I really don't. But anyway, look, this isn't inside England extra time, is it? It's inside. Arsenal extra time and we are getting close now to Everton. I almost, it's annoying because I'm so buzzing still from that Man United win and how, like I said, it felt like lift off for the season. But then I'm kind of mixing that into the utter fear and trepidation of Goodison Park away, which no one should be scared of going to Everton. Why are Arsenal so rubbish at Goodison Park? I don't get it right. I've got these, look, right. This oh. is Everton's last two seasons in the Premier League here. On the left, if you're watching this on YouTube, is 21-22. And then on the right is last season. Look at that. What? <laughs> I mean, explain. Explain that to me. I mean, what, on the left, what? One, two, three, four. What? Ten games is that? One win. And in the middle of that, that one win was Arsenal. And then the one on the right was even worse than that, which was obviously that was that Benitez season, wasn't it? When it was about 16 games or whatever it was. And the only win they had was against Arsenal, slap bang. Oh, God. What? When it was Damari Gray, wasn't it? Last minute winner. Yeah, and Abami. Does someone, is Abamyang or someone like volleys wide? That was the game when Abamyang got dropped. Um, Yes. And then. Ketia volleys wide for about three yards out, doesn't he? Yeah. It was actually Abamyang's last game, wasn't it? Because he went off, then, then the trip to see his mum was immediately after that Everton game like and then he came back and was late and never never played again so that was actually Bamiang's last game he missed that chance to equalize and yeah Eddie Eddie missed that sitter that header he hit the post didn't he oh yeah that what is it it with Everton away in Goodison Park it doesn't matter how rubbish you are they are Arsenal can't win there they can't even draw there I mean I know what it is for us as a press pack which is like unless you happen to be sort of five foot two um you dread going to goodison park because it's like agony on your knees to sit in these ancient sort of victorian press seats um i th- i think you know the sort of the this qualities that everton have had over the last few years even before sean dyche was appointed do sort of tend to match up quite well to arsenal they're very physical um they'll they'll turn games into a bit of a grind and slog affair um and even sort of last season's Arsenal, you would say the best way to beat them was probably to try and bully them to uh, to assert your authority 
on them. And they they do that really well. And actually, my worry for this season is I think they will do it really well again because the results look terrible. But um, I was doing some of this for work, actually. If you kind of look at the data, um, I actually bizarrely rewatched decent chunks of some of the Everton games, which no one should rewatch Wolves-Everton if they don't have to for work. Um, they're a better team than they look and they're a better team than their points tally. Uh, so I, I am also you know, with an Arsenal hat on, I would be very, very worried about this game. I think they've got physicality, directness. The hope would be that Arsenal have added a little bit of that to steal themselves. I think this would have been a great game for Partey and Rice. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, like you, I don't know what it is. It's just a something about Goodison Park and I'm certain the, the players are going to feel a little, little bit of that too. I remember last season's game. The midfield was really dominant in that in that Everton game. They sort of grew mm. into it. The Everton it was what well, it was Anana, Decore, and Gay, wasn't it? And yeah. the three of them really started to boss that game. And I mean, Anana was brilliant. He had such a good he was such a good performance. And then they went and obviously snatched the the winner with a set piece. And you kind of know if you're Arsenal, you know what you're going to get in this game, don't you? There's nothing that's going to surprise them. It's what's the what's the new the Brazilian striker they've got? The guy they signed. Beto. Um, Beto, I watched him come on in that Doncaster game. Was it Doncaster in the cup? They played yes, the other day when he scored. One. And he missed a sitter and then he scored and he hit the post of a header as well. And he's a real handful. Um, and I think he's certainly going to cause problems. He looks like he might make himself a bit of a, a, a favourite at Everton. I think Arsenal are going to have to deal with him as well. And it's just You just know what you're going to get there. You know what you, how you're going to have to play and you've got to stand up to it. And last season, Arsenal didn't do that. They lost their way in that physical battle in the midfield, I think. And then that you could just see the kind of confidence just drain out of them. And you know, it was a surprise. I think that was their first defeat in about in, in about three months, wasn't it, going up to that? Yes. Going up there. So you really couldn't envisage it. So yeah, it's going to be a struggle 100%. And the starting lineup is going to be interesting, I think, for this one. You know, what is Mikel going to do? Like you, I think if Thomas Partey was fit, I think this is a game for Thomas Partey and and Declan Rice in midfield. Obviously, that option is not available to Mikel now. He's got some decisions to make. He'll have to weigh up how the players are when they get back from international break. Of course, I mean, the Brazilians, I think all three of them, they're not going to get back till... I mean, they're playing tonight, overnight, aren't they, over there? So, what, they might be back Thursday afternoon, maybe even for the first time on Friday morning. The squad will travel on Saturday. Mm. So, they're not going to have too much time to recover and we'll wait and see what Gabriel's injury is like, if he even has one. Um, apparently, he will start tonight. So, w w when you sort of look at the decisions Mikel's going to make, what, what, what are you looking at as probably the, the most difficult decisions he's facing? So, I think... I mean, it's really about that back line, isn't it? I almost think, given the the fact that, you know, Everton are going to be looking to beat Arsenal at set pieces, looking to swing balls into the box, I almost feel like this is actually a game for Kai Havertz's defensive qualities. Let's find out if he has enough of them. Um, and I know we're going to talk Havertz a lot today and I feel like this season. Um, the ones that intrigue me are goalkeeper and left-back. And I want to get your takes on both of these as well. You asked me to do a predicted 11. I'm sure we probably have a lot similar. At left back, I have a sneaky feeling we might see Tomiyasu or Kivior. I probably I went for sort of Tomiyasu because it's a bit more of a known quantity. The goalkeeper, I, I just about went Ramsdale. But one thing I'd say about Riot is he's so good 
dealing with crosses. He, you know, no one really in the Premier League last season came out for as many crosses. So I'm ready to not be surprised if Raya makes his debut. I mean, making your debut away at Goodison Park in a big game for Arsenal, especially if, say, City win at West Ham. It's a tough, tough way to start. So that's why I just about shade Ramsdale. I, I mean, left back is the one that interests me because you've also got Champions League on the horizon. So who did you have there? Because, yeah, I'm, I'm going Tomiyasu at left back. I very, very nearly went Tomiyasu, but I did end up going for Zinchenko. I stuck with Zinchenko. Now he's, now he's back in the team. But look, I would be absolutely not surprised if Tomiyasu plays there at all because of exactly everything that you just listed. But... Yeah, I still kind of went with Zinchenko in terms of, you know, Arsenal wanting to dominate in midfield and get on top of the game. And I feel like that he'll probably err to that and sort of concentrate on Arsenal's qualities rather than concentrate more on Everton's um, threats, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, you know, we do forget the home game against Everton where, I mean, and Everton actually I thought played really well in that game. And Arsenal eventually were just like, mm, we've got some gears to go through here. Let's have a look at what we can do. And was it 4-1, 5-1 in the end? 4-1, I think. It was, that was when Bukai sort of scored that right foot into the near post in the top corner. Yeah. And broke the resistance. And yeah, they they looked a little bit threatening on the break in a couple of times early on in that game, didn't they? It wasn't, it wasn't as easy, certainly for the first 40 minutes or whatever it was that the scoreline suggested. Yeah. Exactly. So I think, you know, if Arsenal play really well, a lot of these things we're worrying about with Everton, they don't really matter because Arsenal have 70% of the ball and, you know, 21 shots. Although admittedly, like of late, Ramsdale just concedes from his first one anyway. So that's the other one is, um, are we worried? I know, you know, when we spoke after the United game, you were still sort of of the view that Ramsdale keeps his jersey. I think he does. I, I saw an XG, and I know how much an XG lover you are. I saw the XG of the goalkeeper. Is it, is it called XG? Was it minus XG for a goalkeeper? How yeah, it's like it's all post shot XG yeah. uh, minus. So it's goals minus post shot XG. Oh, and yeah, what on earth does that mean? Honestly, <laughs> so post shot XG is sort of where. So XG is like where the shot is taken. Post shot XG is like where it ends up. So a shot might have like 0.1 XG, but if you put it in the top top left hand corner at like 80 miles an hour, that's got about you know that's like a 0.9 post shot XG. Um, yeah, Ramsdale has has let let in a lot of shots that I think he was bottom for whatever. I mean, I, I don't understand what it means. Even when you just explained it to me there, I'm still <laughs> my eyes were glazing over. But um, he uh, he was on minus 1.8, so he's conceded. 1.8 more goals than he probably should have done, but I don't yeah. really I understand that. Think looking going back over all the goals he's conceded this season, I don't really get that. There was a Fulham one, but I still um and I'm ready to die on this hill and I've spoken about this already. How I think because the guy mishits it and he's trying to lob him, Ramsdale's anticipating the lob and is running backwards. Yeah. And then the guy mishits it and it goes in the near corner. So it looks bad on Ramsdale, but I can understand why that happened because he was anticipating the chip. The guy was clearly trying to chip him. Um, and then none of the other ones I really I really mm. blame Ramsdale for. So I don't I don't see how he's conceded 1.8 goals more than he should have done from those shots that he's faced that have led to goals. But, um, but yeah, I think he keeps his place. I'd be surprised if Raya comes in. Well, no, that's not true. I wouldn't be surprised. But I, I think Ramsdale keeps his place for this one. It'd be very harsh on Ramsdale. Imagine it, because I think he's playing tonight for England. 
So unless yeah. he has a stinker in, yeah, and he comes back with his confidence utterly shot. But if he doesn't and he gets his, you know, he comes back or you know, floating on air after playing for England, hopefully a big win at Scotland, and then you get dropped. <laughs> it wouldn't be, <laughs> wouldn't be the nicest way to return for the international break. But I think with the Champions League coming up and potentially with Brentford coming up, I think that's where we'll, we'll see Raya. And if he performs well in those, then he'll start putting more pressure on Ramsdale. And we could end up seeing the change at that point. But I think for this one, for Goodison, I, I think it'll be Ramsdale. I, th- I think you're probably right. And just one final thing to say on those goals prevented, because I think you're right to be a bit baffled look we're at this sort of stage where the sample size is tiny so like you say like that one weird shot that um who was it who Pereira Pereira, um was it it just has a hugely out huge it's you know it's it's too much of an impact on the overall sample so I'm sure that's a big part of the of the 1.8 because it was sort of like a tickler that rolled into the middle of the net um but Ramsdale was totally out of position and he also hasn't like he just hasn't had to make many worldy saves because I think Arsenal have have the second lowest XG against like there have not been many big shots for Ramsdale to save you know he hasn't had his James Madison free kick moment and that's kind of where it all balances out Um, it is true though that like over the course of his career he is generally conceded slightly more goals than the average Premier League it's always sort of hanging over him, that isn't it? It's always it always been said. It, it does feel like Arsenal tend to concede whenever they whenever they face a shot, it goes in. Um, but although saying that, he does make some. You know, you can sort of clip up a very good sort of show of Ramsdale spectacular saves as well during his time at Arsenal. He made a big one against Man United from Martial earlier on. Yeah, in that's true. Half, which was a which was an important one when it was still one one. Um, all right. Well, look, I. I, I have actually been pretty boring with my predictions at 11. I've got it here. I've gone with the same team that played against Man United. I think I think Eddie starts. I think he starts still. I, I A lot of it is probably down to the fact Jesus has done all this travelling during the international break and will be getting back on about Friday from, from Brazil on Friday yeah. morning, potentially. And I think, yeah, I'm going with Eddie, but obviously I wouldn't be at all surprised if, if Jesus gets a nod for that one. I think Havertz again, plays, I think he'll keep his place. And I think the back four stays as it did against um, United and the goalkeeper stays the same. So, yeah, I've gone a bit boring, unchanged for me for Arsenal. But it's hard because this is where it all kicks off now because, of course, they've got PSV on the Wednesday night and then the small matter of us, North London derby against our high-flying Spurs seven days later. And it is the time for rotation now, isn't it? It's not a case of you're guaranteed starting 11 every single week. It is... How do you best manage this squad? And this is what Mikel's going to have to really sort of manage now going forward between now and Christmas. And it's a, a new a new thing for him. We're going to talk. We've got a lot of questions from from viewers that we're going to bring up, that we're going to get onto very, very soon. And I think one of the ones I've got for you is on that. So I'm not going to go right into it now, but I think it's going to be a really interesting aspect of this next sort of two months leading up to Christmas in terms of how Mikel manages his squad and how he trust the players that we haven't really seen him trust because he's going to need to he's 100% going to need to isn't he because it's a really important part of this season for Arsenal yeah yeah I won't go too deep into it but it, it for me it's always the huge question that, that's hung over Arteta and in the last few seasons he's had kind of mitigating circumstances and he's not had a great squad but um yeah this season I I, I do 
and early on we need to sort of know that that he is he is making the most of this squad because you and I are going to have very little sympathy if in a fortnight's time we are talking about how tired Zinchenko or Saka or whoever looked in the North London derby. And that's why Big Ange Postacoglu won in the Emirates. For the, I don't know. I don't want to talk anymore no. about that. Well, I mean, Tottenham aren't going to have any any um, European football to worry about midweek ahead of that game against Arsenal, are they? They're going to have a full week to prepare for that North London derby. So. Um, you know, they've got a big advantage oh, there. It's, it's not ideal. I and mean, we're talking about the squad. This is in front of me. If you're watching this on YouTube now, you can see what I've brought up. It's the 25-man Champions League squad that Arsenal submitted to UEFA ahead of the group stages. Um, I mean, there's no massive surprises in there. I think, I suppose, probably the sort of headlines in it, James, are you've got Lino Sosa was included in the in this one, in the A-list. You've got um, Cedric, who is alive <laughs> and in the 25-man squad. And James Hilson obviously got, got the nod as the third choice goalkeeper after a conquest over at Wrexham for the season, obviously on loan. So, I mean, when you kind of you talk about the squad and the quality of the squad, I mean, does, what did you make of this 25 man? I mean, there's no great surprises there, is there? Yeah, yeah, nothing really to to write home about. It's almost, you know, you you sort of there was so much talk in the final days of the window that actually Arsenal would struggle to name a 25 man squad. Well, it's actually just about fallen right, but it does sort of show you that you know, maybe Cedric is actually going to have to play a, a little bit of a role here and there. And maybe that's just, you know, you've got to be looking at this group saying, can we get top spot wrapped up before the final game? And then that's a great chance to give Cedric a, a run out against whoever it is. Um, but you look at that, that group of players and yeah, I'd like one defender more, but it should have more than enough to, to get top spot in that group. Yeah, I think it'd look an awful lot nicer if you had Urian Timber's name <laughs> listed there, wouldn't it? Quite simply, it'd look a lot would nicer. He have, but... Would he have taken Cedric's place? Because does Lino Souza come in? I mean, this is all when it gets very I, complicated I, yeah, and you I need football manager. No, no, I'm just sorry, I'm taking away to see his age. But he's only 18, so he'd been on the B list, wouldn't he? He could have, he didn't, did he have to be on that? Did he have to be on the is A list? Something about, is it something about sort of homegrown? So trained at club, Arsenal have Smithrow, Saka, Nelson. No, that would be fine as well. They're obviously absolutely fine on players that are like trained at club. I wonder if he's just on because they put 25 on. I, yeah, I just wonder, because I, I, I'm sure he would qualify for that. I know obviously he came from West Brom, so he's not come through the through the academy, but he's been there a while. And yeah, I'm surprised. And someone like Saliba now is, um, Saliba's homegrown, Martinelli's homegrown, thanks to UEFA's wonderful wheezes. Um Rounds that I think Raya is homegrown as well. So Arsenal tick all of UEFA's squad boxes. So I have to sort of assume that Souza is on there just to sort of round out the numbers or there may be something because there was something complicated about um do you remember the Europa League when Saliba was he'd come back from Saint Etienne, he was the half season he was at the club. Yeah. And Arsenal couldn't name him in the Europa League squad because he didn't qualify as homegrown and you couldn't put him on the B list. Uh, I swear, someone like Dan Critchlow on Twitter is always very good for this. And I feel like we are trying to work this out live, which maybe isn't the best idea. But I, I wonder if with Lino Souza, he falls in that same uh, bucket yeah. as Saliba. I hope so, because then he's probably as good as Saliba. Oh, that'd be nice. I do, I do yeah. like the look of Sosa, though. I, I think every time I've seen him, I think he does look like a... 
Mm. He does look like a, a decent talent. There's obviously no people are saying, why, why is he on there and Raul Waters isn't? But, you know, Raul Waters doesn't need to be because he can just be on that B list anyway. So um, it doesn't make too much of a difference. Um, all right. Shall we get into the kind of mailbag section of this yes. show? We've got lots of questions between us. Now, everyone watching or listening, we put out a message on Twitter or X, whatever you call it now, um, yesterday, and you've been replying, and we've both picked five each. Now we haven't, we don't know what the other one has selected yet. <laughs> we kind of James sent over the list of kind of what he was going to talk about, but just the names and uh, uh, people. So I, I don't know. I haven't prepared, but I'm pretty sure we haven't crossed over on our on our uh, selections either. So yeah, we're going to wing this a little bit right now. But I shall go first. Mr. Benj. Now, obviously, as I'm sort of hosting this, I've been able to put mine on the slide so you can be able to see them. James oh. won't be able to do that, so he's going to have to read them. But um, yeah, I'll bring up my first right now. So it's from Jimbo. Oh, it says, there is a lot of talk about squad depth and if it is lacking. However, has it ever been stronger? Pascal Sigan, <laughs> good old Pascal, made over 20 appearances in the Invincible season. So what are you thinking, James? Has the squad depth ever been I mean, stronger? Firstly, I, I'm firmly of the view that Pascal Seagon was um, a little bit underrated because every squad, no matter how good it is, needs a uh, a joke, a player that, that no one really wants around. A, um, you know, a Cedric, sorry to say yeah. it, mate. I really like you, Cedric, as a person, and you're better. Pro- but like, when you have a good squad, your Pascal Seagon, your Cedric might be quite good. Um, I mean, we forget that that invincible squad had spots where it, you know, you couldn't really afford an injury, and it got relatively lucky on in, like, you know, Arsenal were without Campbell or Torre, but they were never without Campbell and Torre. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was about having a squad of. I mean, I, I would think back to this. Uh, I keep meaning to reread Amy Lawrence's book on this, um, and I haven't got round to it. But I would think back to there's about 16, 17, 18 really good players in that invincible squad, um, and actually maybe our this Arsenal squad is is a similar number of sort of that eighteen players that Arteta trusts, like Wenger trusted his first eighteen, and then. You know, for other games, the, you know, your Ali Adiers, your uh, Gal Clichy's, your, uh, who is the, uh, Seagons mm-hmm. and Keones, they come in as and when required. And um, you just, you know, the Invincible, the Invincibles got lucky that their suspensions were at good times, that their injuries were at the right time. Yeah, I would, I would probably agree. I mean, you almost do go back to those Emery and Arteta squads early on, which were full of players that he'd been bought at great expense. Um, and, you know, there was the, the crisis of, can we actually all get them out? We can't name some of them in the Europa League squad, but a lot of them weren't very good. So, yeah, I would say this is the the deepest squad Arsenal have had, at least since the Invincibles, um, and you wouldn't get much before. But I do still want one more. What about you? Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's a really strong squad. I think when you just look at it on paper, it's really strong. If Urien Timber's name was in there, it would be... Yeah. exceptionally strong i think defense is kind of the little worry at the moment going into this but um but yeah can't really add any more i agree with what you got to say what you got for me now james first one is from semper fi arsenal i'm surprised how many questions we got about this because i thought people would just want to um pretend it never happened uh, any reason why we let 
why Pepe was let go for free on a contract termination. Uh, there were rumours from a few reliable Turkish accounts saying we would get around three mil for him. Um, and then a sort of subsequent question, which I'll, I'll let him have, even though that, that bumps up my numbers. Would you have kept him till January since we needed another winger and looked to sell him then? No, so I wouldn't what, have kept him. And then I'll answer that first one. Say for free? That last one. I wouldn't have kept him just because... I was just he wouldn't have played. So. Yeah. <laughs> we need a winger, but he would have pl- he wouldn't have played. You know, Reese Nelson would have played over there ahead of him. Gabriel Jesus would have played over there ahead of him. Kai Havertz probably would have played over there ahead of him. You know, so so no, I wouldn't have kept him because I don't see the point in it. Um, in terms of why didn't they get a fee? Well, I, I'd seen all the stuff about getting a nominal fee and things like that, but I'd never heard that myself. I I'd, I'd always kind of been told it was going to be it was shaping up to be a contract termination. So although those reports came out in Turkey, I, it wasn't something that I'd ever heard of myself. And I don't think I'd actually seen reported over in England. So, um, so yeah, I don't, yeah. obviously it would have been nice to get a fee. I, but I think things had got, had reached such a point with the sort of Pepe situation that it was really, it was really hard. Arsenal made a bit of a rod for their own back in terms of how that, what they've done with, previous players in Pepe's situation and and you know to, although teams have got a lot of money you'll say the Saudi clubs which obviously you know an awful lot about have got a lot of money they're also not stupid and they're not gonna mm. they're gonna look at Pepe's situation and they're gonna think why should we bid any money for him because in about two months time Arsenal are gonna get with contracts and that's what happened so I think clubs are always gonna wait it out I don't think it was a huge market for him anyway the fact he's only signed a one-year contract over in Besiktas uh, not Besiktas sorry Traps and Spore kind of shows that there clearly wasn't that much on the table for Pepe at the moment and he needs to go and rebuild his career. And I think sometimes you just got to accept kind of that for all parties, the best situation is just to move on and get it done, have a clean break. And that's kind of how it, how it felt with Pepe right now. It's a shame, you know, he's too good a player to go for free. You know, he's obviously Mm. not a 72 million pound player, but he's a good player and he was decent for Arsenal for a year and a half. Um, Arsenal probably could have managed it better. Arteta could have managed it better, I think. And, you know, it's not the first time we've said that about Arteta in the way if a player sort of falls out of favour, how suddenly they are, they're not just out of favour, they're basically out of sight, out of mind. And it makes it very, very hard to get money for players. And you look at Pepe's qualities, you look at what he did in the first season and a half, you know, his integral to the FA Cup win. The second season, he finished with about 16, 17 goals, albeit a large chunk of those were right at the end when he hit that sort of purple patch. But, you know, he should, Arsenal shouldn't be losing a player of his quality for free. But it's just the way everything's gone over the last few years. That's how it's ultimately panned out. And I think it's a big shame. I always remember um, the West Ham game that was the final one before lockdown. Pablo Marie's great hour. Um, and Mesut Ozil's final game in an Arsenal shirt. But in the post-match presser, you might remember, um, Arteta basically came out and said he intended to train Pepe on how to use his right foot. In quite a, you know, it was sort of supportive, supportive, but a coach that was running low on patience. Um, and I always thought from that moment on, I was just like, you know, and he was talking about, I am going to train him one on one. And when it got to that level, you just thought, mm, yeah, I don't, I don't see this working because I don't think Arteta's going to want to spend time training one player on how to use his right foot. I mean, you know, that's, I think that's the real shame because he's a wizard with his left foot. Um, But the Premier League, frankly, just demanded a little more of him than 
than he had for a team of Arsenal's ambitions and who wanted to play the way Arsenal did. I think he'd be quite good at Man United, for instance. But um, I mean, frankly, are you surprised that no one came in for him then? Uh, that there was just nothing better on the well, table the, well, than the, a one-year deal at Trabzonspor. So what I was told is quite a lot of, well, or, or several opportunities were presented to him by Edu, who was working very hard to find something. But I think, and look, I want to say this is no judgment on Pepe. I just don't really think there was much appetite from him either to to go before the the, the termination. I don't, I don't know the specifics of this, but I know in every other one of those terminations, Arsenal have had to pay players some of the money they're owed. And I think as much as, like you said, it makes sense for the buying clubs, it does also make sense for for, for Pepe, who yeah. I think, given the way that Arsenal have and that Arteta have, have maybe not handled him perfectly and, and the way he, he... I could understand if he felt like he's been a scapegoat. He wasn't the only expensive attacker that, that didn't perform. I can kind of see if his view is just, well, now I'll let you terminate my contract too. Why, why do I want to do a deal where a Besiktas or an Al Kali Chaftaspet give Arsenal five million? Why don't I wait to see what the market's like when they terminate their contract? So, yeah, I think that that's kind of where it falls down on. Just like it, 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 did, it only made sense for Arsenal to get a fee, uh, and I think even they knew it was a, it was going to be a long shot because no other party was motivated to do anything other than let this let this run to the end. It's it's sad. Um, and it's just quite sad for Arsenal. You do wonder, like, if they wanted to sell Thomas Partey next year, if things go really badly wrong, would the same happen? I think it does have to be players of that sort of more veteran age. I don't think mm. this is an issue with your your Smith Rose or, uh, or even make a Tommy, Tommy Asu. Um, but like, it's a it's a it's a dispiriting ending to a, a transfer. I know excited and it was so exciting. It was so exciting at the time, you know, he came came from Lille and, you know, he was such a hot property back then. It's just a real shame. And we'd all been, we'd been told that it was it couldn't happen as well. Like, we can't yeah. make this work. And yeah. it did. I remember absolutely being told it wasn't going to happen and uh, had a lot of egg on my face <laughs> when it did yeah. happen. As did I. Yeah. As did I. I think every yeah. Arsenal reporter did. Yeah. And it's a shame. And he did, you know, that... He, he performed well, you know, it's not, you look at some of the highlight reels that were sort of cut out. Yes, he was a one-dimensional player. Yes, in the Premier League, that's not ideal, but he still did get a lot of joy. He scored a lot of good mm. goals. He set up a lot of goals. He was integral to that cup win. You know, he set up Aubameyang's goal, opening goal in the semi-final against Man City. He set up the winner against Chelsea in the final. You know, he scored 15, 16, whatever it was in the following year. And you know, he's, he scored some brilliant goals, absolutely brilliant goals. And that's why I just feel it's such a shame that it sort of panned out like that. And, now, Arsenal should have got some money for him. It's just the way it's all worked. And like I said, it's been managed pretty badly, I think. And it's another example of, I think, an area that Mikel needs to needs to work on. Um, Can I just dive in? I want to get yours as well. I wanted to set, talk about my favourite Pepe moment because especially on our pod, we've been quite, you know, and I just there have been quite like, oh, you know, it's he's not going to be worth anything. He's going to be a contract termination. That that, But there's so many moments, like you said, that I loved. And for me, do you remember the Wolves away game in the, what I refer to as the all or nothing year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he comes on and just turns the game single-handedly. And does he get the equaliser? The home or, game. Does he get the away game? No, no, the home the game. Winner, he, doesn't it? 
There was a home oh, game, a home got game. the equaliser, and then Laka then set up Laka for the winner. And yeah, it was mental injury time winner, wasn't it? Yeah, brilliant. I don't know. Have you got like a a particular? Yes, but I think what someone mentioned that earlier. I was doing a show earlier, one of my usual shows, and they said exactly that. They highlighted that Wolves game as their favorite, their favorite Pepe moment, and it was great. And you kind of felt at that point because that was already when he had been basically sort of pushed out of the side by Arteta mm. wasn't really being used. And then he turned to him in that game and he came on and produced that real moment of quality to get the equaliser and the set up lacquer. Um, my favourite Pepe moment. I mean, the two goals against Victoria when he scored those two free kicks back to back to turn it around. And um, it was great. I mean, I had, a, I had a question on Pepe or a comment on Pepe saying, oh, you know, why did he get on so well under Unai and not under Arteta? And I was like, well, that's not really true. <laughs> Unai, Unai didn't. He, did, I, he didn't score in a goal in open play under Unai. He played in those first sort of three months of that season. He scored a penalty against Villa in the league and then those two free kicks against Vittoria. And, you know, I didn't start him all the time. You know, he didn't even want him. He wanted Zaha. So I think he played his best football under Arteta. Definitely. The run to that FA Cup yeah. final. I think his performance in the Cup final was great. You know, he was so good in that game. He was really unlucky with that disallowed goal that was flagged for offside when he bent it, did his one of those finishes into the top left-hand corner. So that was great. Um Probably that his goal at West Ham as well when yes. Freddie's only win. Just get, I, re- I was really glad that Freddie got a win when he was in charge during that period as well. And you know, him, him curling that one in was was a great moment. So there was plenty of him. He scored against United as well, which is always nice. So, uh, so yeah, goodbye, Nico. It's been not what we were all hoping for, but <laughs> there's certainly been some good moments along the way. Okay, right, let's move on to your second one now, James. Spent a lot of time on Nico Pepe there. I know, sorry. Uh, I don't even know how to pronounce that. How would you pronounce that, first of all? Uh, Fouad? Fouad? Fouad, okay. Fouad says, do you see a Rice-type signing next summer? And if so, which position? Thanks. I mean, uh, probably. And probably at striker. I don't... So, I mean, I have... And I'll come on to this one next. I have another question about centre-forward options. I think there's right. this curious thing where uh, I, I still think Arteta's ideal centre forward is like the best version of Gabriel Jesus, who plays 38 games a season. But I think you know, if you're looking at what, how does, what makes this team better, probably more goals. Um, and as I mean, if if the Havertz if the Havertz experiment does really stall out, maybe we have to start thinking about a different left eight, different profile, different signing. But, you know, running along the rest of that squad, there's nothing there that I'm like, that needs sorting. And striker could just take him to a whole nother level. I guess my thing would be, and I'll talk about this, we can talk about this more with my question, but age and experience level of that striker, because a Declan Rice style fee for a striker might only get you Rasmus Hoyland with nine Serie A goals. But what about you? I mean, is there any other position I'm missing there? No, I think, well, I, I absolutely agree. I think if, the, if they're going to do something big next summer, it's going to be a striker. I think that's the area that they will definitely look to improve. I think they need to improve it as well. Um, not Maybe not so much improve on what they've already got, but just improve the options that they've got there. I think it'd be nice to have another uh, sort of slightly different option as a central striker. So, yeah, I would go with that. It will be interesting to see... Definitely, like you said, the Havertz experiment, which I think we all, at the moment, still probably label as an experiment because he's a player who's never really played that role. He's having to grow into it as he adjusts week by week. So whether that works or not, if it doesn't, then clearly he'll have to think about something 
in that position. But I, I do wonder at centre back, you know, the Gabriel stuff this summer. You know, will will something happen next summer? Mm. We'll, we'll have to see. But I would say right now, if there's going to be another Rice type, you know, proper headline grabbing signing, um, it next it will probably be the striker. So. On that question from AFC Quez, if we were to buy a new striker, who would it be? What profile would suit our style best? Some are shouting for Ferguson, and although I rate him, I strongly believe we need a player with a bit more experience, like Tony, considering how young the rest of the team is. So who who is your striker? And this is always the hard part, isn't it? Because I hate to break it to our viewers, but Charles, if you're anything like me, we're not like we're not glued to the Bundesliga week in week out. We like have work to do, which makes it quite hard to watch all the other leagues when we're at Arsenal or at wherever. So, go on. Who do you want though? Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Uh, can I have Erlin Harlan, please? <laughs> <laughs> How much have you got? Uh, yeah. Uh, who would it be? I mean, I would absolutely not be upset if Arsenal signed Ivan Tony from Brentford, put it that way. I would be yeah, I'd be very happy if Arsenal signed Ivan Tony from from Brentford. I'd be very happy if Arsenal signed Ivan Tony from Brentford in January, let alone in the <laughs> yep. summer. Um I think like I said, I kind of feel just that that different option would be a really positive thing for Arsenal to have just a different style of forward who um Mikel could turn to and could rotate the team with and I think Tony's you know naturally a very good footballer as well he's not just a you know complete hoof it up and target man I think he's you know technically he's very very good um so I wouldn't be I wouldn't be upset about that I mean Ferguson is a really interesting young talent who you just watch at the moment and you think he seems like he's got everything and the way he's adjusted has been so so impressive put to the Premier League at such a young age but he is still very, very young, and you know if you're going to get him out of Brighton, it's going to cost an absolute fortune. Um, so yeah, I I don't know if Ferguson would be um, would be possible, but he just feels like another project player. If you do sign Ferguson, I don't know. I I I, I kind of like the idea that whoever that question was from said, you know, that it's such a young team mm. putting someone in like a Tony who's not old. I mean, what's Tony? Twenty seven, twenty eight at the moment. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it would cost a lot, but he is absolutely ready to take that next step, I think, and and, and prove that he's a, a top six striker. And um, yeah, I I think I'd probably I'd probably go for him, I would say. But again, like you said, I'm not 
absolutely on it when it comes to European and worldwide strikers, and I'm probably missing someone that I've got one for you. shouting and screaming at me. Well, who have you got? I mean, and this is like left field because he's only just arrived at Bayer Leverkusen, but because I love Jabi Alonso as a player and as a coach, and because um, Florian Wirtz is there, who I think is the best young footballer in the world, um, I want his teammate. Uh, Victor Boniface, um, who has just arrived there, and he might already be—he's scoring a lot of goals in the Bundesliga. He is tall, and I would like Arsenal's next striker to be quite tall. But he is also someone that can do some of those Gabriel Jesusy things: of drop deep, play in the channels, build up, and then score lots of goals. Um, my slightly crazy pitch, if things don't work out with Havertz, is 120 million pounds and Havertz to Leverkusen. Give us Furtz and uh, Victor Boniface. Wow. I would love that. That would be my dream. Um, Edu, you have my number. Call me. Um, let's talk. Uh, he's but blocked, yeah, Boniface. He's blocked your number, mate. Of course he has. <laughs> Hasn't he blocked everyone's? <laughs> um, I, te- I have not even heard of Boniface, I have to say, and that says how much I've uh, been paying attention to a lot of um, European football at the moment, but I will go with your uh, your instincts on that one. I mean, Victor Osman is another one. You know, is yeah. he ready next next summer? You'd imagine he will probably go next summer. I know he signed that new contract with Napoli, but I'm pre I'm presuming there was probably some sort yeah. of agreement potentially in that new contract for him. I tell you what, who I would really like, and I think would be perfect for Arsenal, and they were heavily linked with him before he made the move. But I just think Alexander Isak as well at Newcastle. Um, I really think it'd have been great for this Arsenal team. I wasn't Similar, sure. Yeah. I wasn't sure at the time when they were when all the links with Arsenal and Isak were going on. I'm not sure if it, you know, doesn't really score that many goals and all that. But I think he's been really impressive at, at Newcastle, and I think technically he's great. He's strong. He's a runner as well, um, and I think he'd actually play really, really well in this Arsenal. It's obviously not going to happen, but I think he. I do look. I at mean, him. the way Newcastle are going right now, mate, they might need <laughs> to sell some players off. Who knows? No, I don't. But yeah, those are those are probably the the choice. I mean, I'd definitely go for Tony or uh, Ossiemen. Probably be my mm. my picks. Right, what we got next for you? It's my go, isn't it? Yeah, it's my go. Your turn. Let's have a look. Right, here's one from at Billy Bidness Twelve. He says, "Hey, Jimmy B." So this is addressed specifically Solid to you, to Jimmy B. I might start calling you Jimmy B from now on. <laughs> I hey, tried that at uni; it didn't work. Did it not? Hey, nope. you know, I, I don't see you as a Jimmy B. You're you're far too hipster for Jimmy B. For Indeed. Me. So, hey, Jimmy B, Arteta's squad rotation is one big worry I have. He struggles to trust his bench. Whenever we win a game, he nearly never changes the starting eleven for the next week. Look at Deserby, for instance, constantly trusting his squad and giving them confidence. What do you think? So I said earlier on in this show that I had one of these sort of questions. And we're now approaching that point of the season where it is going to be all about squad rotation and managing your squad and keeping everyone in the best possible shape to play and it's something we've not really seen Mikel do before and it's a big question mark over him can he do it well does he just not trust enough of his players to give him a chance so um so obviously Billy Bidness 12 is a it's the big worry that he has is it the big worry that you have as well yeah I think we have to give Arteta I mean if I'm giving Arteta the benefit of the doubt and despite what I was about to say I don't think we have to you would sort of say that 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 Going through his Arsenal tenure, there has been the period where Arsenal haven't had good quality depth. Uh, and then there was the year that they weren't in Europe. So you didn't really need to test that depth. 
I felt like there were there was a little bit of bad management around those sporting Europa League ties. And of course, we saw that in Saliba and Tomiasu injuries, but also not using those sorts of games to give Smith Rowe and the Nelsons and even Nketiahs to an extent, although maybe not Nketiah, but you know, those sorts of players, a few more minutes in their legs. So, I, I mean, it just is a concern. It, it's one that can be disproven quite quickly this season if he gets it right. And I think the point now is, what I would say now is I, I can't put together any mitigating factors. I can't say, oh, well, you know, Arsenal didn't really have much, you know, European football. Of course, he played his best eleven, or, you know, it was only Europa League. Of course, he played his best eleven. Like, right now, every game, every three days is really, really important except Brentford in the Carabao. So... Well, you say that, but I, to... I think that is quite important. No, I mean, it's, Carabao. it's I nothing, think he, yeah. he needs to win a trophy, doesn't he? He needs to... Arsenal needs some silverware. You can't just throw the Carabao Cup away, I don't think. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, uh, yeah. Bit for, I was a bit a bit facetious there, but you're right. And, like, I don't, I, I don't think... I think it would be a shame if these really good years are not marked with some silverware. Yeah. Even if it would be a hope for better than a Carabao Cup. But yeah, I, I I just would say there's there's no reason now at this moment why we can't see Arteta using 18 players and making it fairly easy for himself and for his players to stay fresh at a big stage of the season. Yeah. I'm pretty certain you think the same. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And he keeps saying it, doesn't he, in the build-up to this. Whenever he got a question say about Emil in those first weeks of the season, be, he would say, well, well, look, everyone's going to get minutes. We've got a lot of games coming out. Everyone will play. So he keeps saying it. Now it's time for him to to sort of back up that words and show it. And I think he really needs to. The, the, one, the one thing I look at is, although Arsenal are obviously now in the Champions League, it's a very Europa League group. And, yeah. and, and, um, and you kind of look at those games coming out and there's definitely the opportunity in the Champions League, which sounds mad, but almost in the Champions League, almost to to rotate and ensure when the Premier League games come around, you're you're still in a very strong position. Like you, I think he made some big mistakes, or he certainly made some mistakes last season with how he managed that squad in the second half of the season. I didn't, you know, Smith Rowe, for example, there were so many opportunities for him to play over that second half of last season that he wasn't given. And it's just, I just, it's, it was really surprising some of the calls he made. I always go back to that Leeds game when Saka hadn't even trained the day before because he was ill. Arsenal were three and up in the second half and he put Saka on and leaves him yeah. on the bench. And it was the same at the Fulham when Jesus made his return that game against Fulham. Arsenal three and up at half time. You got like Emil sitting there in the second half. Just give him minutes. Get, you know, how are these players supposed to prove anything to you and force their way into the squad and get that sort of confidence level up if you're not going to play them? And he can't afford to do that this season. He has to manage the squad well and give everyone minutes so they feel a part of it and they're not completely on the outside and I really really hope he does that I think he he needs to do that and yeah I think it's gonna be a really intriguing factor of this next sort of two three month period leading up to Christmas 100% right one from Peter Hurst I hope I pronounced your name your surname oh, yeah, Peter. I know, Peter, yeah. yes exactly well good a good friend of ours do you think the Premier League should hire international referees to avoid local bias and raise the level and professionalism among the officials that's an interesting one is it I would like I'd say yes but then I also think do we look with a little bit of sort of rose tinted glasses through yeah at, at European referees and foreign referees think oh they're so much better than our referees I think if you went over to Italy and you spoke to Italian fans about Italian referees, they'd all be like, oh, they're rubbish, they're terrible, get them out. But 
and we look at it slightly differently. They might look at English referees and think when watching Premier League, think oh, they do it quite well. So I think it's easy for us to think they're miles better than our officials. And largely our officials are all right. They're good. You know, they're top they're top quality officials. It's just I think it's very easy for us to sit here and when you question decisions against your team, you automatically think everywhere else has got the best officials and the best referees. Um but I mean, it was. I would not be against it. I don't see why it has to be English referees. It's not all English players playing in the Premier League, is it? So I don't mm. see why it has to be English referees, referee in the Premier League. And often when European refs come over for European nights, you do think, oh, they're quite. They're, they've had a really decent game, these guys. But then you also get mad ones as well. So, yeah, I wouldn't be against it. Put it that way. I don't see why it has to just purely be English referees. And the amount of referees that are from the Greater Manchester area. Operating in the Premier League right now, it just does open itself up to the obvious conspiracy theories. I don't think that really helps anyone. So it, whether or not they just need to concentrate on opening up that pool of top level Premier League officials to make sure it's just not all heavily concentrated around one area of the country, that might be that might be a start. Exactly. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think it's worth remembering that there was certainly a moment, maybe five or six years ago, where. English referees weren't going to the World Cup and weren't getting the big games, but that probably was the exception. You know, we've seen the likes of Mark uh, Mark Clattenburg and Anthony Taylor do big tournament games. Um, there's another one I'm who my mind has blanked on, um, which is probably a good thing for a referee, isn't it? That I can't remember who I'm thinking of that that goes to tournaments and and gets big games. That's you know that's a sign. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. I think maybe if you were sort of able to. You know, when we watch the Champions League and the World Cup, everyone's like, oh, officiating is superb. Well, that is the best officials in the world. That's why it's done well. Um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty open to it. I think though it might engender an awful lot of negativity from, from around Europe. Um, so I do wonder if the sort of juice would be worth a squeeze there. And guess what? All of you out there on the internet, you'll complain about them because you like you complain about referees because you like doing it. Simple. Yep, yep. I know. I agree. And um, I like I, Michael Oliver. I think it's a decent referee. Michael Oliver was one of yeah. I don't. I don't mind Michael Oliver. And to be fair, I don't actually think Andy Taylor's that bad until he gets a lot of grief. I think and so he's a top quality referee. That's why he does. It'd be great if be... Mike Dean didn't stitch him up. Yeah, it would be great if Mike Dean didn't stitch him up. Oh, Mike, why is he all over TV now? It's just doing my Dean. It's just everywhere you look. It's Sunday Mike Dean. Is it press box at the Emirates on Sunday? Well, he was there. He was out on the pitch, wasn't he? He was doing like the show with Sky afterwards. He was literally standing there with the panel, and he's like, "Why is Mike Dean out there? It's just mad." He's just literally admitted to not doing his job properly because he didn't want to give his mate any more hard work to do, and yet he's been wheeled out. He's on TNT Sports in the in the studio. He's on Sky Sports. I just don't. Uh, does my head in? Just go away, Mike Dean. Arsene Wenger was right, as he always he is. Yeah. Right, it's my go. It's my go, isn't it? I think it is your go. I think we've got, I've got one more left. I can't remember how many I've got. I think one, one or two. Have but, a look. Yeah. G Chapman 91 says, will Arsenal regret not signing a defender in the late stages of the window or is there a more concrete plan idea to hasten the inter- integration of Waters? After losing Saliba, it affected the run as well as Tommy. We essentially have even less cover with Holdini leaving. Um, will they regret it? I think probably just about not. I think they might just about get away with it because, you know, we talk about less cover, but we don't kind of, Partey has emerged as that right back that he wasn't really last season. I think you kind of have to pencil him in when he comes back. You know, there are smashed glass in case, glass in case of emergency players like 
Declan Rice could play mm. centre back if that's what is required. And it's only till January, you know, if Tommy Asu, uh, Gabriel Kivior gets a big injury, well, you probably, you know, if that happens in mid-November, you can get through to January and, and move quickly then. I, and it is, it, it's tough. Like, you know, when we kind of, when we were taught, we would say, oh, we want a new defender. And then we couldn't really come up with a name of like someone that could come in for a year or something. Um, unless there was an obvious player that you could have gone and got that you were going to get next summer, which I'm not sure Arsenal were particularly desperate to upgrade in defence next summer unless they have to. So I think they will just about maybe sometimes edge of the edge of their seat and white knuckle cope. Um, Walters, obviously a player that's highly regarded, but I don't particularly think he's the sort of like a pathway set up for him for the... No, the they're not going to fast track future. him in, are they? They're not going to fast track him in. And I don't be... think that's why they didn't sign anyone. No. I mean, I'm sure they said, if we have to, we can use him. But, you know, I think people sometimes, because of the Sackers and Smith Rose and Arsenal's rich reputation, they see a young player on the bench and think that within the next two years, he'll be a regular. And I'm not, yeah. I don't see that. No, no, I think. I mean, Zinchenko obviously picked him up and that sort of excited a lot of people as well, didn't it? Um, the other day when he was doing the interview, was it Rio Ferdinand? I think it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think they should be right, but it's all hypothetical, isn't it? I mean, we just don't know. It's, it's a tough one. If they don't get any injuries, they're not going to regret it. If they suddenly lose Saliba and Tommy Astor in the same game again like they did against Sporting, then they probably will end up regretting it. So I think it's just like you said, it's just a kind of sit there nervously, fingers crossed between now and December, hoping that everyone comes through unscathed and and like I said, there are options there if needs be. Declan Rice, Thomas Partey, once he's fit again. You know, Tommy Asu was great at centre-back again for Japan against um, Germany the other day. You can easily play centre-back if, you, if you're a centre-back down as, as well. Kibio's still there, of course. So yeah, I think they've got options, but I, th- I think they're definitely weaker in defence than they were last season, but just because obviously they brought Kibio in, I'm sorry, brought Timber in, he's out for the season and then between them, Holden and Tierney played over 50 games last season in all competitions and they've both gone. So I think they're definitely weaker. But, you know, whether they regret it, that all sort of remains to be seen with what pans out over the next few months or so. Right. You'll like this one. So I thought I'd say this towards the end. Um, from Arseholic, why are rivals so bitter about Arsenal? Was it like this all the time or is this a new trend? Well, it's a new trend because mean... they're good again. Yeah. <laughs> So that's it. When they, when they were rubbish, no one cared, did they? It was just like, oh, it's Arsenal. They're eighth in the Premier League. Who cares? Let's just kind of laugh at them a little bit. But they're all bitter now because they've got a brilliant team, brilliant players, brilliant manager. They're young. The crowd are completely into it as well. It's like the amount of social media anger from rival fans over the, like, the video clips of North London Forever being sung before the Man United game just made me laugh. And it's just like they're all taking the mick out of it. It's like, but it's just pure jealousy. It's just you've got, you've got mm. a fan base and a team and a club that's all kind of in harmony at the moment and loving it. And others are looking in there and kind of wishing that theirs was the same. And I, so, yeah, I think you know, there's a lot more bitterness towards Arsenal now, I think, just because purely the fact of jealousy and that they're a good team to be taken seriously again. And rival fans can see that. So, yeah, I mean, back in the days of the Invincibles and Arsene Wenger, obviously social media wasn't around like it is now. And you didn't really sort of feel the the jealousy and uh, and that. And you see it a lot more now. Um, but, yeah, I think it's purely that's it. Yeah, people should enjoy it. I mean, I think the, the one thing I would add is 
I think it probably is quite keenly felt by that jealousy is quite keenly felt by rival fans because, you know, their view of it would be Arsenal haven't done anything they can't do. This isn't like, you know, I, I always feel like the city, obviously some of this is because the the lack of history and a major UK fan base, but also I think it's just like, well, well, you bought it. Fuck off. Um, Arsenal, and this was like the, this. I, I always thought this was with Liverpool um, in you know three or four years ago, and even with Spurs. I hate to say it in those early Poch years, it was that you'd built that contender kind of the right way. You kind of set a blueprint for how everyone else can do it. I mean, you have to have one of the best footballers in the world in your academy waiting to break through. You have to be able to fill your squad out with loads of other great academy graduates, but there's no like secret magic formula for Arsenal compared to any of the other big six teams. They could all have, you know, with managing their talent in the right way, they could all have done it. And the fact that they haven't, I think that really does, does stoke those jealous fires. And I would just say, enjoy it. If, if rival fans are being triggered by North London forever, um, just really enjoy that. Like, that's brilliant because they used to just rip into rip the piss out of Arsenal mercilessly. And you guys did not like that one bit, and nor should exactly. you. Um, the banter years are gone. <laughs> They're dead. Oh, the banter God. years are gone. So enjoy it and enjoy the fact that it's annoying the hell out of rival fans that Arsenal are back and doing well. You know, if you say the banter years are gone three times, they come back like Beetlejuice. Oh, well, I'm not going to say it three times then. <laughs> we don't ever need to see that back. Good fun though. <laughs> Sebastian Scalacci. Yes. Get him in. Where's he? Find him as a as a, set, as a cover for. Come on, that's exactly what the Bantiers would have done. They go, well, we need a centre back. Yeah. Which rando in the French leagues can we pick up for surprisingly like quite a lot of money? Hmm. Bring it back. <laughs> right. Is this? I think this is the last one that I have now. What stage in Arteta's plan would you guys say we are in? If we aren't in stage five, then what is to come? Not a lot of separating us from the top teams, in my opinion. Just need to show up and win titles now. Well, see, I don't think we're quite there. Arsenal are quite there yet. And that would be what stage five is. Um, like, I think there is quite a bit separating Arsenal from, at least from City. And maybe stage five is is only just we compete with City. I, I think it was a great interview, wasn't it, with James Olley, where um, Arteta said this. And I, But I do sometimes feel like... Yeah, I, I've never asked the question, but I don't really believe that, like, there is this sort of, like, detailed blueprint, sort of... Or, like, you remember when Blue Peter used to, in the summer, used to do those, like, appeals for bring and buy sales and all that, and it would sort of be ticking up throughout yeah, the summer. Yeah. I don't feel like Arteta's, like... Uh, right now we're at stage 3.9, um, and you know, with another, with one more right back, we go to stage four point two. Um, but yeah, I don't think Arsenal are at stage five. Stage five is when they are like when they go into the season, and everyone hasn't automatically said City are going to win the league. Mm. Yeah, I think they're getting close to that point, but I don't think they're there yet. I think each there's just been that progression that you know the initial stages of getting everyone out, building his own squad, then it was getting back into Europe, getting back into the Champions League, competing for the title. And then I think stage five, like I said, that's the end game, isn't it? That is season challenges, season Champions League challenges, and season Premier League challenges to go up against sort of toe to toe with Manchester City. And I don't think this squad. I think it's good. The the, the way it's been built is very very good, and there's loads of talented players in there. But I don't think they're quite on the level of City yet that's not to say they can't get past them this year who knows they could but Mm. um, I still think we're a little bit 
we're probably one more summer window away from that right now but you know with it's it's certainly close certainly very very close um have you got any more or is that you out i've got i've got my final one i think i've okay. gone i've just picked up a different one because i quite like the look of it uh, from adam collins what's more likely this season a premier league trophy or a champions league trophy i i tell you what i've talked about this before i honestly think it's easier it's going to be easier yes. to win the Champions League than the Premier League this season. Yeah, I I yeah. think just because over thirty eight games against Manchester City is incredibly hard, and considering the co- level of competition you're going to be facing every week with the other teams as well, I look at that Champions League and I just don't think, other than Manchester City, of course, mm-hmm. I just don't think there's anything massively to fear. I think Arsenal can play well and beat all of those teams. They, they will need luck along the way, like you do in any sort of European run, obviously. Um. You know, I don't. If Arsenal drew Real Madrid, I wouldn't be terrified. I think Real would justifiably be favourites, but I wouldn't mm. be terrified of playing them over two legs. And I think Arsenal would have a chance of beating them. The same goes for Bayern Munich. You know, the only one I'd really fear is Manchester City. But yeah. other than that, you know, in cup competitions, they're easier to win they're, than a 38 Premier League season, 38 game Premier League season. So I would probably say the Champions League. Yes, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, the the City case last season probably sort of makes us forget that quite often the best team in Europe doesn't win the Champions League. Like, I could run down all those, like, all the Real Madrid teams of the last decade. Very few of them that won the Champions League, I thought, were the best team in Europe. It can mm. be totally random. It can be a great game from Benzema, you know, maybe that's Saka for Arsenal, or it could be Courtois having the the game of his life and that can change a lot like you say you know over 38 games your average levels tend to show but in eight knockout time eight nine knockout games you might get a lucky draw you might you know everything might break your way um so the supplementary question i was going to throw here is which do you want more because i have to say even though it's been 20 years i think because of you know i was 16 the last time we got to the final, the Champions League, I'm too young to remember Arsenal winning a European trophy. Lucky me. Um, and it's the Champions League. Uh, I just want that one more. Just I do. probably want the Premier League more. I have to say, I just want the Premier It's been 20 years. The Premier League's the bread and butter of Arsenal. I mean, I, I, I was in Paris for the 2006 final. It was absolutely devastating. I've been to four European finals in my life. We've lost all four. The only one I didn't go to. The only one I didn't go to, we won. Um, and I've seen it. The, the way we've lost all those finals has been utterly heartbreaking. Last-minute goal from the halfway line by an ex-Tottenham player. A penalty shootout defeat. Um, throwing away a 1-0 lead in the last 15 minutes of a championship. Having to final, go to Baku. And then going to Baku and seeing Chelsea steamroll Arsenal. It's just been a horrible final. Yeah, it's been brutal. So I would, I've, just, I've think, just think what Box Park Wembley could be like. Yeah. In June, it is Wembley as well, isn't it? Actually, it's, it's, it's the Wembley. final of Wembley. Yeah, I mean, which is why, which is why I think Arsenal will, because Arsenal will never win a, a major European game at Wembley, as we well know. But lifting true, the yeah. Wembley curse as well, lifting be... the Wembley curse, that would be special. I mean, it would be great. Obviously, I would, I would take either of them, but um, I would love to win the Premier League and get that after twenty years and just being a top dogs in England again. And like you said, the Champions League, as prestigious as it is, it is a cup competition, and you can. You know, Inter Milan got to the final last year and you look at the way, the run that they had to the final, who they had to play. It's not, you know, if you get a bit of luck in the draw, it's not the hardest thing. It's not, 
to win the Premier League with a level of quality of teams you've got to go up against every single week where you can't dip an inch really and if you do you lose it's um I'd probably go Premier League. Just going back to Arsenal's hopes in the Champions League, I think obviously they haven't been in this competition for a long time and experience does tell in this competition mm. and having that Champions League experience and big moments does tell. And Arsenal is a very young team, so that needs to be factored into this season. When I say, you know, it's probably easier to win the Premier League, it is still difficult, of course, to win the Champions yeah. League. And, and Arsenal do have that, you know, sort of, it's basically first season again, isn't it? They're sort of going into yeah. it after such a long break. So it will be difficult, but um, yeah. I've kind of taught myself out of both answers there. And I, so, yeah, I'm going, I'd rather win the Premier League, but I'd absolutely take the Champions League, of course. Yeah, both would be lovely. Both would be lovely. Now, I tell you, there'd be a book, there'd be a book in that. <laughs> An updated version. Yeah, there would. We are at an hour and five minutes now, so we have certainly rattled on a fair bit today. Um, and unless you've got anything else to say, I think, is it time to bring this one to a close? I think we need to call it a day there before uh, our listeners and viewers lose the will to live exactly all right top man all right james have a good end to your week mate and uh we'll be back next week to talk about the champions league because arsenal are back in that competition next wednesday night against psv have a great weekend where are you where are you this weekend you at a game um i'm uh, i'm going to verona verona for a game or for a holiday for a holiday for a very luxy holiday very nice. All right. Well, enjoy that, mate. And I will be back at some point next week to talk to you and talk about the Champions League. Have a good one. Thanks for watching, everyone. We'll be back to speak to you very, very soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 